You're listening to Early Doors Football Podcast with Mark Roach and co-hosts Dylan Kerr, Tom Watt and Sherelle Casel. A For The Now media production. So here we are, episode one. Welcome to the Early Doors Football Podcast. I'm Mark Roach and I'm joined by my co-hosts Tom Watt and Dylan Kerr. And later we'll take a look at women's football with Sherelle Casal. And our special guests for episode one are Pat Nevin and Sky Sports Women's Super League reporter Lindsay Hooper. So um, before we come to, to Pat, our first special guest, just want to have a, a, a quick word with you, Tom, if that's OK, because I, I believe you're at Brentford v Arsenal, the first Premier League game on Friday. Not a great result for Arsenal, but what was that atmosphere like? Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. It was an absolutely brilliant night. I mean, look, we've all been away from football for ages, haven't we? So I was at Brentford Arsenal on Friday and at Cheltenham Wickham on uh, Saturday. And, you know, neither result was too clever. But the social, the social was just fantastic. I mean, Brentford, it was just great. I mean, you know, I, I was, I worked it out. I think Brentford is the only club I've watched in all four divisions. Um, and uh, there were people, and it, it something, says something about the identity of the club, really, and how they do do things the right way and have got kind of sort of values that they hang on to, that there were people from all those different, you know, there were people that I first met when Brentford were in League Two from, yeah, well, like fourth division time. Do you know what I mean? That's how far back it goes, right through kind of League One, championship and now and it was just great because people were absolutely buzzing I mean you know the old boys who used to run the I'm sure Pat's will remember the kind of press area the little press room with the pucker pie machine in the corner at, at Brentford now they've got this big old you know got absolutely all mod cons and stuff um, and I saw the two old boys who, who are still running that Peter Gillam doing his stuff on the the longest serving match announcer in, in English football doing his stuff out on the pitch. And then, like I say, just, you know, Marcus Gale, uh, Carly Robert Osborne, who's now managing the women's team um, at Brentford. Uh, God, Eddie Rogers, who was chairman way, way back in the day. Isaiah Rankin, who played for Brentford and Arsenal, um, of course. And uh, Martin Allen, who uh, took them to the fifth round twice, probably kind of kept Brentford solvent those couple of seasons, you know, they, it's, uh, so it was, it was a real great, you know, it's just reward for doing the right things really. And they've, yeah. they've always been a club that tried to do things the right way and definitely kind of sort of involve the local community involved, you know, I mean, yeah, <clears throat> supporters running for the council um, yeah. at one point to, to kind of try and keep, keep Brentford afloat. So, you know, it, it was just, uh, uh, absolutely what so many people at that football club deserved on Friday night. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of weird to say, but it was great. It was a great, great night. I, by the time I got home, I'd forgotten about the result and just thought, yeah. I'm so glad I was there. Um, and we had, uh, and what a start to the, the Premier League weekend. We had um, loads of goals and Dylan, your old team, Leeds, um, started with a 5-1 defeat against, against Man United, but Let's talk about Man United. How impressed were you with them? I was absolutely, I was, I was absolutely blown away because, you know, the expectations of Manchester United on the previous season 
Um, will they, won't they? Have they invested properly? Will he pick the right team? Is Harry Maguire going to be in the in, in the back four? Who's he going to play up front? Will Pogba play or, you know, with his contract coming up? Uh, but I thought it was a great performance. And, you know, the, you know, the question marks in the first game, you know, Bielsa's just signed his first, his, his extended contract. Now, you know, you after a 5-1 win, you know, there's the, 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 the tongues are talking already. But I just thought it was fantastic. And just to go back to what Tom was saying about Brentford and Arsenal, watching it in South Africa, um, it was it's fantastic that it was on. But it was fantastic because the supporters are back. I mean, opening day of the, of the Premier League season, I don't think if, if the COVID rules are still applied, I don't think, you know, the, the, the Tom would have experienced that raw emotion, that pure involvement of Brentford being in the top league after, as he says, being in the bottom leagues, nearly going bankrupt. I think it was just a fantastic footballing weekend. You know, the Newcastle game, you know, Spurs, Man City, who would have expected Man City to get beat? Can Spurs, Grealish is playing, Harry Kane's not playing, and, 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 and the most underrated player for Tottenham, Son, goes and scores the winner. So I was delighted, delighted. Yeah. And I was speaking to Pat on the way from Old Trafford, and he got he got lost on his sat and he got stuck in a traffic jam. And, and talking of which, we're going to speak to our first guest now, our first ever guest on the Early Doors Football Podcast. It, it's only Pat Nevin. Hello, Pat. How are you? I'm very well, Mark. And uh, of course, hello to Tom. Hello to Dylan. Both great old friends of mine. Um, and yeah, Dylan's right there. I've, can I tell you right at the start, I've had the weirdest last three or four days, right? Um, I was on Friday night, I was doing Loose Ends, which is an arts program in Radio 4 in the UK. Oh, um, that's you, innit? That's you, Pat. That's you. Head down to me. Then straight to Manchester. That was in Glasgow. Straight to Manchester to go to Manchester United uh, versus Leeds, which was, as Dylan correctly said, an amazing game. And talk about atmosphere. My ears have just about recovered. It was absolutely incredible um, to do that. So that was great. Um, that was the Saturday. Sunday, I then drove straight to Edinburgh, uh, where I was appearing at the Edinburgh Festival, the Edinburgh Book Festival. Um, and then uh, today... What have you done today? Uh, I've been in prison. So... <laughs> well, you should, you should be in there still. <laughs> well, yes, you heard right. I was in prison today. Um, I went up to Edinburgh and uh, did a talk to some prisoners at Edinburgh who are serving at Her Majesty's pleasure at the moment. And that was brilliant as well. And that's what I love, doing all these things. And doing different things is fantastic. But it was great to be able to talk to them about a variety of things. But, you know, I think they quite, quite like to have been at Manchester United with me the other day. <laughs> I like, they'd like to have been <laughs> out. Because, A, it was a brilliant game. B, the atmosphere was totally and utterly off the scale. And as you were mentioning before there, the quality on show... Um, Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. Uh, Pogba, I would, have, I would probably have given him man of the match above Fernandes. And I have, have questions about Pogba and have had because it's, it's very hot and cold. But when he's on it, and when he fancies it, when he put the effort in, and when he's not in some sort of huff with the club, he is an astonishing player. And those four assists he had. Pat, let me ask you a question. Why, why, why would a player like that at a club like Manchester United, you know, be in a huff? Why, what's the... No, you know, he showed everybody his, his quality on Saturday, which we all know he's got. But, you know, he's not like a hot and cold tap. We can switch on and off every five minutes. He's got to be more, you know, respectful of the club and respectful of his job. Well, it doesn't matter just about 
Oh, it's like anything in Tom will know this. Creativity um, is actually the hardest thing to produce. Uh, what you can actually do is always work hard. Um, and maybe that was the question. If you're not producing with the creative side, as long as you're trying to be creative, that's fine. But I, I think there was times when he, he, he didn't think the club suited him. It wasn't right for him. He maybe wanted away. He was looking maybe to move back over you know, to the continent again. But at the moment, it would appear, and I would hope it's the case that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got inside his head. And if he's got inside his head, and the systems, without going over technical, but the way they adapted systems during the game, when you're at the game, was brilliant. Um, they had done a great job, Leeds, on... Uh, Fuchs was actually... A fo- yeah, who was it? Who was the centre-back? Um, Koch, actually, not Fuchs. Koch. It's just those rude names. Anyway, Koch, he was um, playing in a t- defensive midfield area, and he was killing... Fernandez, and then they changed it. They went to a diamond, yeah. and those two played in areas where they couldn't get picked up. And Fernandez and Pogba, from then on in, brilliant by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They changed the tactics and won the game and created the space. And by the way, Leeds, and I know you like Leeds, Dylan, they'll be fine. They'll be great. They're a joy to watch, and they always are. But that was a very special Man United performance. And you know the biggest thing? And I think Man United fans will tell you this right away. No Varane. No Edison Cavani, no Marcus Rashford, a possibility of maybe others coming in. That was an astonishing display with that lack of, you know, with those talents not on the pitch. It was, uh, well, Varane was on the pitch beforehand because he was introduced. But uh, before the game, I wasn't convinced that they would be up in the running for the title chase. Change my mind now. They've got a I don't think many were. I don't think many were, Pat. I mean, yeah. I, you know, as a Man U, as a Man U supporter, I'm sorry, Mark, I have to say it. You know, as a as a former Leeds player, but I've always you know had a, a soft spot for Man United and Leeds, both of them the same. You know, I was thinking I didn't know what to expect. You know, I didn't know what the what the what the team makeup was going to be like on the pitch, off the pitch. But I think it's it it's, it shut a lot of people up and, and opened a few people eyes in the footballing world. Football is a bit um, like, isn't it? Um, sometimes you think it needs uh, three or four different positions. And by the way. And that list there, I never even mentioned Jaden Sancho, <laughs> which is quite a big player for them. But sometimes with football, it's something that just clicks when you put one or two players in and the whole thing tends, tends to make sense after that. And certainly always done that. It's just taken a while. To, to, to be fair, gents, I, I, I mean, yeah, it was a great performance, obviously. But, you know, Man United, they did lead six last year. Do you know what I mean? It, it was it, it was a, a similar story last year. You know, they absolutely uh, just absolutely steamrolled them last year. So, it, you know, you do get kind of, you know, clubs that can play other clubs. And obviously at the moment, you know, you say do them six last year and then the opening day of the season, do them five. Obviously, there's something going on that maybe it doesn't yet tell us that much about either Manchester United or Leeds United because Man United won't win 5-1 every week. Um, you know, Leeds will always kind of... Leeds will always attack you. They'll always have a go. And that is how Manchester United like to play. That's how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, certainly since he's been manager, he may be looking to change that now. He may, you know, be looking at, at people like Sancho to, to change that. But, you know, they've always been most comfortable with teams that come at them um, who they can break on and you know, Leeds will do that. And Leeds will just keep doing it. They don't, you know, they, they don't kind of go, oh, it's Man United, so we'll, we'll sit. They, they'll yeah. attack everybody. 
anybody and everybody. And, you know, Manchester United, for the second time since Leeds won promotion, kind of took full advantage, really. I totally agree with that. I think uh, it's the perfect side for Manchester United to play. They will attack them at home and you can break on and their breaking was absolutely fantastic. The thing on top of that is you look at Varane, if he is the player he looked as if he was going to become and him beside Maguire and Luke Shaw at fullback and you start looking around going, where are the weaknesses? I'm, seeing, I'm not seeing that many weaknesses now. Beforehand, maybe even spirit was a weakness, but there was no lack of it there. It is early days, and I'm not saying they're definitely going to win it, but would anyone be surprised if they're there or, there or thereabouts now? I don't think we'd be surprised now. Yeah, and, and, and Pat, just want to, um, on that note, talk about your, your former club, Chelsea. Obviously, um, very interested to hear about what you make of Thomas Tuchel's impact since he's come in and, and how you think Lukaku is going to do for them this season. Um, well, take the Tuchel, what he's done since he's come in is absolutely incredible. I'm just one of these fortunate people. Um, you're talking about we've been all been away from games. I've not. I've been going games all the way through it because working where I've been working, I've been you know, going through the pandemic and going to all the games, um, which was weird, very weird in itself. But when Thomas Tuchel came down there, and remember, he's not had a supporter in that ground yet. What he did to that club was astonishing. Um, I thought Frank was doing a decent job, um, but he's come in and it's amazing the attitude change he's had, the belief that he's brought into that group. They've now got a probably probably 22, maybe more, that any 20, any 11 of that 22 is fine. When's the last time you said that? But oh. it's, it's extraordinary the quality they've got in strength and depth. Um, mm-hmm. I would drop some names. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was over at the Champions League final in Porto with Chelsea and I met Tuchel afterwards and I immediately understood why the players like him. Dylan, you were chatting, we were chatting earlier on about um, you know, what managers do well. So important what relationship they have within the club, the players and everyone else. His, they, they are madly in love with them. That's all I can say. They're in love with them. All the players, they seem to want to do absolutely anything for them. Um, and they dragged me down to the, uh, the celebration party in Porto after they win the Champions League. And I'm sitting there talking to him. I'm thinking, why are you talking to me? You've, got, you've just won the Champions League, mate. But he's just so lovely about it. Um, in fact, he nearly caused a real problem because I was so relaxed. And we were in this beautiful old port warehouse in the banks of the river. And I leant back on this table to just chat to him. And I knocked something over and I caught it. It was only the Champions League trophy. I nearly broke it. I think, I think, Pat, you, you know, you're right what you say about, you know, um, having that relationship with your players and managers, sorry, with your players and your, and your supporters, because here in South Africa, that's mainly my success has been, you know, having the players on my side, getting the players to believe in what I, what I want to do. You know, Tom being a Cheltenham fan and, you know, watching all the, all the games at this weekend, you know, I bet he saw that at, at Brentford and uh, I bet he saw that he, he, at Cheltenham, even if the results didn't go the, the right way. You know they they, they 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 want to play for the management. They want to play for 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 the fans now because they're back in the in the stadium. But quick one on Saturday, I went to watch Chelsea uh, at my local pub, which was full of Afrikaans people because the Springboks were playing Argentina, and the amount of fights and arguments and 
to try and put that game on the TV, even though rugby wasn't on for it for, to, to the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, oh, it was interesting. It was interesting. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get hit for once. <laughs> and, and Pat, just, just quickly on Lukaku, do, do you see him as, um, uh, as a the top scorer potentially this season? Um, can I admit I was surprised that he was the one who went for it. Um, gauging that mostly on you know, my other team, obviously, the Everton when I was uh, in England in the Premier League. And there were two teams when Everton played. There was Everton and there was Romelu. And it, there were two different teams. That's not the way that uh, Thomas Tuchel works. You need to be part of the unit. And remember, the, a lot of questions were asked, although he had a good scoring record at Manchester United. From what I understand and what I hear, and the bits that I saw of him when he was playing in Italy, there's been a change. Physically, he looks different now. Uh, he's high, higher energy than he was. He's never going to be the biggest player for closing down. But he looks and sounds as if he was more part of the unit. I'll make you a promise now. See if he isn't. He's not getting a game. I don't care if he costs £97.5 million. You're not getting a game under Thomas Tuchel. We just dump you. He's like that. Remember what he did to Car- Callum Hudson-Odoi? Brought him on against Southampton. Wasn't doing what he wanted. 15 minutes later, hooked him off again. It's not nasty. It's just... This is what we need. And if you're not doing it. So he's got the right manager. And he, if he plays to the, uh, the top of his abilities, he's got every single chance of being the top scorer or around the top scorers in the league. And the reason being, Chelsea have the ball all the time. And they create lots and lots of chances. And they've just not had that natural scorer for quite some time. He is an actual scorer. His numbers have been great anywhere. You will be surprised in fact, I'll be very surprised if he doesn't do very, very well. Uh, and that will really help Chelsea. The problem Chelsea have got, there's about eight top players in that front three. You, eight into three doesn't go very well. I mean, my <laughs> math is okay, but that's, that's not easy, man. So they're an exciting team to watch just now, an entertaining team to watch just now. And I'm kind of looking for, I enjoyed last season. Um, I'm going to really enjoy this season watching Chelsea because... Um, you know, there is a creativity now. I'm a wee bit gutted that Ziyech has been injured because he's a certain type of creativity that I enjoy watching. But, you know, it, there isn't a player at Chelsea and that's maybe their other strength this season. You look at Man City and you don't want to lose De Bruyne. You look at Liverpool, you don't want to lose Salah. You look at Arsenal, you don't want to lose Tierney. Or, but, you know, you look at Chelsea, nobody. There's nobody you say we can't do with him. Even in Golo Kante who is amazing. Even Jorginho, who I think is an astonishing player. It's Ma. There's plenty more. And that's why they're a big danger this season. Just going to say that, you know, can't do without people. And that's always, it's always an interesting way to look at the, the strength of a squad. But it's interesting. I mean, they have gone all in on Lukaku as a centre forward. You know, Giroud's gone. Tammy's on his way. Do you know what I mean? It is, it's going to be Lukaku. Isn't it? And it's kind of Lukaku or bust, really. They've not. It doesn't look like they're going to kind of hang on to one to to fill in if it doesn't work, or he gets you know picks up a knock. Or um, and it's ironic, of course, because you think back to the day, and I'm sure you know Pat will have been close enough to the club back that you know Chelsea let him go because they thought he'd never be a player. He wasn't and sure the, player, the players he he was playing with at Chelsea never thought he'd be a player. That's Chelsea's history, isn't it, though? You let De Bruyne go. You let Salah go. They were. Yeah, yeah, but those are those are kind of. I think those are kind of decisions that you kind of. Uh, it's the Chelsea model, and I'm not sure that 
people actually in the dressing room would have been as dismissive of De Bruyne or Salah as they were of Lukaku. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. But Chelsea, uh, they're only, they are long-term thinking in youth. They do that really well. Long-term serve in players. No, no, the, the now is the time. This is yeah. the now. We need to win the now. And that's the way they are. They're ruthless with it. And it kind of doesn't sit easily sometimes. You know, certainly not with me. Um, but have a look at the trophy cabinet. Um, it helps when you've got a few quid and you're very wealthy. But yeah, they've, they've done that time and again. I would go back in that um, about the centre-forward thing. I would suggest Kai Havertz will be a far better player than Lukaku is. Uh, I think he's... I haven't watched him every week and watched the you know, troubles he's had with COVID, long COVID, injuries, etc. Yeah. He's absolutely astonishing. He's, he's no, he's a, brilliant, he's a brilliant player, but he's not a number nine exactly, is he? False nines, you can do, use them these times. Um, no, absolutely. What I'm saying is, though, that, that they've obviously gone all in on Lukaku. If they're going to play a number nine, it's going to be Lukaku because Abraham and, and Giroud aren't going to be on the premises. Absolutely, there's other ways that Thomas Tuchel can set them up to um, to play, as he did last season. Stop there. But the one thing, if you look at the numbers and look at stats, the one thing that's missing is a 20 goals a season player. Um, yeah. And if they add that, which they look as if they had, that's fine. But then they didn't have it last season and they went an incredible run after Tuchel. And they got to they won the Champions League and they were second best team points wise in England after Manchester City. They're, they're not that far off. They're, they're pretty good. No, no, I mean, they would have had Kane if they could have got him. They would, like everybody else, they'd have had Haaland had they could have got him. But, you know, the, he's the one that will do that job just now. I'm intrigued to see that. Very entertaining. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm excited for for them, but not just them. I mean, Chelsea's my team, but I'm excited for City. I'm excited for Liverpool being back to what they could be. They've got Van Dijk back. They've had a, a wee bit of a rest as well. They could be back to that joyous team to watch as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing them quite a bit this season. And then, of course, so you've got City, you've got Chelsea, you've got United, you've got Liverpool. And if anyone else can go and push on to their um, well done you, because those four a, spending well, and B, brilliant players anyway. So, Pat, I just, I'm conscious of your, your time. I know you're not with us for too much longer. So, I've got to ask you about uh, another of your former clubs, Everton. Um, so, you had a really interesting situation with the managers there, with Ancelotti and, and then uh, Benitez coming in. What, what do you think Everton can, can do this season? And we, we spoke about strikers. What do you think about the... The, the situation there with Richarlison, you know, how, how do you think Everton will, will get on under Benitez this season? Right, well, when Benitez signed on, um, I get the phone calls from various media people saying, oh my God, it's horrendous. The Everton fans are furious, can't believe they've done that. Um, and I disagree though. I think Benitez is a fantastic manager, absolutely fantastic manager. What he did in Newcastle was good. Yogi's history has been very, very good as well. But what he did at Chelsea was possibly, I would argue, his most impressive. He came down there and he was loathed, absolutely loathed by the Chelsea fans. And they weren't going to give him a chance. And he brought that team together. And he left, not by all, but by most, at the very least, respected. I mean, he got them in the top floor, he won the Europe, a European trophy, and he behaved with such dignity. And he brought together a group incredibly well. Also, thank you, done an astonishing job at Newcastle under very straightened circumstances. So I think Everton fans are fuming, a lot of them are fuming, 
that it's Benitez because of his Liverpool stuff. However, go and win a few games and go on a run, and it'll be fine. You've got one of the top managers in the business there, and it's time to, it's not time yet, more on him, but he'll be a bit longer. But in the end, I suspect the top will like him. It really depends on who else they get between now and the end of the transfer window. They've got a decent enough team there, but they need a little bit more. Um, Damari Gray is a player, if you can get the best out of him, he's spectacularly good. So I think they're a stronger team than they were last season. But it kind of means keeping almost all the players fit all the time, and that's going to be their downfall. I enjoyed watching Everton last season. And, you know, they've got some good players. And, and, and the beauty of watching Everton is what, when, when you go to Goodison Park, you know, it's, it's right on top of you. And obviously they've got new permission to, to build the new stadium. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't take anything away from, you know, the, like, your old team. You know, because it's that, that stadium is, is one of the old ones that still remain. And, you know, there's always a passion there because the fans are right on pitch side. I'll be, I'll be devastated the day the Goodison Park finishes because it is the classic English stadium that's left maybe in the top flight because all the others, I mean, the Emirates is great. The, you know, it's a fantastic stadium. You look at Spurs' new stadium, it's fantastic. But that, you know, that, that history... You know, you kind of miss it a little bit and it takes a wee while to grow a new history wherever you go. And I'll be saddened when that happens. But hey, that's the way football is. It's a business. You need to make sure you maximise your income if you're going to be competitive. And that's certainly where they're going to go. Hey, Dylan, I thought you were going to dig me up at some of my old clubs, i.e. you and I at Kilmarnock. <laughs> well, this is, this is the oh, bit never... prompt, Dylan and Pat. Off, I've never off, off, knew it. We'll hear some stories from you. Oh, just no, just listen, it was, you know, can imagine Pat Nevin coming to Kilmarnock, you know, we Pat Nevin who's played for Scotland, for Chelsea, for Everton, and, and he comes to join your club and everybody were like raised eyebrows at Pat coming, because I think he was like 47 at the time, sorry Pat, um, you know, but uh, straight away, we, 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 t- we hit on straight away, me and Pat, because we, we had the same interest in music, you know, um, uh, I don't know, if Harry Redknapp's in EastEnders, when's Pat Nevin going to be in Coronation Street? That's my question. Um, but it's, uh, you know, Pat was just brilliant to play with. And, you know, my, my one and only goal for Kilmarnock came in what was known as the Ayrshire Cup final. Uh, there's only two teams in it, obviously, Air United and Kilmarnock. And at half time, he said to me, stop overlapping, underlap me, run inside me, don't overlap me uh, and you'll score. First five minutes in the in, in the game, I underlapped him, put me through in the back of the net, and I ran up the state, ran ran up all the steps in in the, in the stands. So you know that that's my fondest memory uh, of Pat uh, be, being at Kilmarnock, plus other things. Yeah, just before you go, because I need to go in a minute or two. There was another memory. I went to go up for a header in training. No, honestly, I did, and I won it. However, I hadn't looked behind me, and I got smashed in the face with uh, Gus McPherson. And uh, I went to get up and there was Dylan standing there and I'm saying, I'll be okay to carry on. And he's going, nah, nah. Half of my face was gone. All smashed in. Anyway, I'm going to get the operation and uh, waking up for the operation. A couple of hours later, the kindly Dylan comes and uh, offers me a toffee. Thank you, Dylan. That's what I needed. <laughs> I have to go now. That's my phone going. That's your alarm. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Peace in. Cheers, both folk. Cheers, Pat. Pat. So there you go, Pat Nevin. Thank you very much for for joining us. And Tom and Dylan, what what a player he was at, at Chelsea, Everton, and you know Tramere as well, and the and the play and the teams he played for in in Scotland, and and you know 
had uh, had some some good games for Scotland. Even before he joined Chelsea, he was um, European champion at under eighteen level with with Scotland. What a great player! Yeah, played football for fun. Agreed, agreed, Tom. Agreed, and a lot of players don't play well. No, no. A lot of players don't play for fun anymore. It's it's like Pat said, it's a business. But the one the one thing, if you look at Pat Nevin and Gordon Strachan, they always used to look after themselves on the pitch and off the pitch. And yeah. as a young player, you used to bounce off that, Tom. You used to bounce off that because you respected them. Because you respected them. It was fantastic. So from one winger in Pat Nevin, we are going to talk now to another winger. It's Sherelle Casal, the host of our women's football section on the Early Doors Football Podcast. Hello, Sherelle. Uh, I've described you there as a, as a winger and you've just joined Portsmouth Women as a forward. But... Um, what position have you played in mostly in your career so far? A bit of a mixture, actually. Um, so I started off as a winger, right or left, um, and then kind of got into the number nine role um, and then was kind of like running off the shoulders, shall we say. Um, and then I kind of went through a transition then to play midfield. So I played as a number 10 role. And I played that for like three seasons with Lewis, um, which was different, you know, uh, box to box I was always usually on the shoulders or running in behind or a bit more defense I mean wingers nowadays you don't really get many it's really wing backs um but yeah no and then now I'm back as number nine <laughs> so which is that your preferred position yeah one of the front three absolutely yeah I, I like I like playing off the shoulder or in behind Okay, and, and I just want to um, talk to you about your earlier experience um, in, in your career. And, and like, like many um, players um, who have had a lot of experience in, in football, they've gone out to, to spend some time in America and you, and you did mm -hmm. that. Um, what was that experience like for you and why did you kind of um, sort of decide to do that in the first place? Yeah, so I went straight from Arsenal Academy. And, and what was happening is um, the manager back then, he, he didn't really like young players. He was more of, you know, Arsenal were winning everything when I was at Arsenal. I mean, you, you couldn't, they were unstoppable. Uh, it was crazy. But it was great to be in that environment, training with the first team. Um, you know, we was in the reserves, doing very well. And I was only 16, just turned 17. And I seen a few players go up. We, I was on a bench a few times for the first team, but I never really got that, oh, am I ever going to start? Am I ever going to get in? Um, and the reason that is, is because he never really put younger players on. So then I had America and Santa Clarita knocking at my door, kind of going, Charlotte, we want you to come over and we want you to play football um, in the WSL. So I was like, do you know what? I'll, I'll try. Um, I was young. Didn't really know too much about America. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I kind of just took, took it and, and grabbed it and, and went with it. Brilliant. And then um, you obviously came back and you played for quite a, a, few, a few clubs in, in England as well. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw that, um, was it a Chichester City in particular? You had a really good goal-scoring ratio. It's about one in one in two. Um, was yeah. that because you were playing in a, a central striker role, a number nine role? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, there was two of us, myself and Charlie. 
and then we just bounced off each other really well. I mean, both of us on the pitch, we were, at least one of us would score two or three a game. Um, we just had that, you know, when you just have that partnership. And then I had that with Charlie. So, yeah, I think we both scored. I think Charlie scored 27, I scored 25 um, in one season. So, yeah, it was good. Great stuff. And, and I think I think a few of those were against Portsmouth as well. So <laughs> you played. I think you played at Portsmouth for. Um, this is your third spell with Portsmouth, isn't it? Yes, only. Um, so the first time I went there was for the um, academy. So it wasn't actually for seniors, um, and that was just literally I was playing for Southampton and Portsmouth, where Portsmouth was a Sunday team and Southampton was the centre of excellence team on a Saturday. Um, so that was more for me when I was younger, just to get a bit of game time. Um, then I had a very, very small stint before, I, I believe it was before I went to Chichester. Um, and it just didn't work out. I didn't really get on with the manager. Um, yeah, I didn't get on, get on with the, very many of the players. I just didn't feel I could be at my best there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it was the most quickest team I've signed for and then got and then left. All right, and you, you obviously did well enough in, in your uh, career to be selected for the Republic of Ireland. So, so why, why Republic of Ireland? I, I guess you, you, you could have sort of chosen to play for, for England if, if you wanted to. How, how did um, Republic of Ireland come about? So I'm actually half Irish, half Moroccan. So my dad's Moroccan, my mum's Irish, and my nan's Irish. All my family, my mum's side's all Irish. Um, so it's a no-brainer for me. Absolutely no brainer. It was always going to be Ireland. You know, I played for them since I was 15, 16. Um, so, yeah, going up to the ranks and then getting my first senior cap was something I'll always remember. Fantastic. And, and you, uh, I think you're up to, is it about 27 caps now? Yeah. And you, um, do you think that a, a recall might be on the, on the cards at some point? Hopefully. I feel really, really good at the moment. The last three years, you know, that first year of the pandemic, I felt great. Obviously, it got cut short, which is unfortunate. But then it made me made me work on the things that I needed to work on. Um, so, like my strength, my hold up play. So I've done a lot of that down in lockdown. Um, and then I come back, and last season was probably one of the best seasons I've had for a very long time. Um, again, the partnership we had at Crystal Palace, you know, the management, the coaches, you know, you could put, in some training sessions you couldn't even laugh. Um, but that's the fun. That's the fun of it. You know, we needed to get to that point where things were looking up. And yeah, last season was great. And you know, I've took a lot of positives from last season, which can bring me on to this season, especially coming down a league. Now, as as well as football, um, I would really like to hear about um, what else you do because you you run not one but two businesses, and they're completely different types of businesses. And not only that. You told me that you're about to set up a third business. The, the question that anyone would want to know about that is, how do you manage to do all of that? How do you fit it all in? Good question. <laughs> I'm still wondering myself. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So the businesses, it just kind of something I've always wanted. I've always wanted to own my own business. Um, I'm very business minded. I think I get it from my auntie. She's owned plenty of businesses in her lifetime. And yeah, it's just something, I guess, as well, it's kind of from that sporting background. You know, you are very competitive as a sports person. Um, and I think that's what brings into my business side. <laughs> Sometimes too much, but it's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my first business is called Empire Digital Services. 
Um, so what we do is we build um, websites, bespoke applications, um, and we do digital marketing. So just to kind of give an overview on digital marketing, just in case some people don't know, is everything pretty much online. So Google advertising, SEO, which is search engine optimization, social media management, social media advertising. So everything a business needs, that's online. And we cater for everything there. So that's one side of the business. Uh, and then we come into the new business, which we literally launched through lockdown, <laughs> um, which is called Find My Cleaners. So it's a digital marketplace for cleaning companies to kind of fill in their gaps of their diary, but also the 24-7 availability. So it is completely different. However, <laughs> it's still online marketing. So it's still what Empire do. Um, it's just a completely different concept. And it's more for... Um, Mark, I don't know if we've, we've discussed this actually, um, was actually sitting um, in our living room one morning, ridiculous o'clock, I think it was like five o'clock in the morning, and uh, me and my partner were talking, and I always have to have these crazy ideas, always, and, and my partner Ben's always like, Shrell, stop, stop, but he, he listens, because <laughs> he's got it, <laughs> um, and yeah, find my cleaner, come from that, literally sitting there, um, one of our business partners, um, who's actually involved in find my cleaner as well, I mean, he was having some problems with a gardener. So he's got his own company in the construction industry and he was having terrible trouble trying to get this gardener. So me and, me and my partner, Ben, were talking about it for ages. And I said, well, there's nothing out there for cleaners. Nothing. Only that their own websites. Now, some cleaners are one-man bands and they can't afford, you know, paying thousands of pounds a month on Google ads or even websites. You know, they might not be able to afford to get a website made. So being in the digital world, we had that kind of leg up. <laughs> and I thought, no, let's go with it. So we started designing the website. We started designing the application. And then four months down the line, it's all live. And yeah, the company's going strength from strength. Fantastic. And just, just very quickly, just talk us through your plan for your new business and, and how you're going to manage a, a third business as well as football. <laughs> um yeah good question still still figuring that one out um yeah it was, it's going to go live in september the beginning of october um we've got some people that are now going to come in house and run it as well um we're still going to be um the directors of it um but we're just going to build a team because this project is a lot bigger um we're starting to release some information in the next three weeks um so yeah maybe in a third or fourth episode we can break that down um, but for now it's all a secret <laughs> brilliant well i wish you luck with that and and uh, based on the fact that you your two businesses so far are quite different um i'll be expecting something diverse with, with that as well but absolutely yeah. this is completely <laughs> we'll, completely we'll, different we'll keep up to date with that as we as we go along but good luck with that so um just want to talk about your hopes for this season really firstly with with portsmouth um and also potentially with uh, Republic of Ireland as well. Yeah, I mean, I've got bigger ambitions of Portsmouth. I mean, Jay's our manager. Um, when I first put out on my Twitter that I was actually leaving Palace, you know, it was, it was a really hard decision um, because I absolutely love my time at Palace, but I just couldn't dedicate my time. Um, you know, they're training four days a week. I can't do that. And then two businesses and the third one. Um, you know, it took me a good month to kind of actually get it in my head that I'm leaving. Um, so then I, um, Portsmouth come to me, there's quite a few teams come to me, but Portsmouth is on my doorstep, but also my partner is born in Portsmouth. 
So it made kind of sense for me to, to come to Portsmouth. I know the ambitions for the men's team because we try to go every home game when we can. <laughs> uh, my partner does go to every home game, but me, it's more of if we've got an away game, then obviously we can't. Um, but yeah, when Jay gave me a text, uh, actually, it's really funny because he actually screenshot my tweet and then he goes, can we meet up this week? <laughs> so, yes, I met up with Jay. We never had like a 20 minute conversation. It's always two hours. Um, but yeah, just his passion, his um, ambitions for the club. You know, he's been at the club for six or seven years. Um, so, you know, he, he's not just a, a manager that's just come into Portsmouth and just gone, all right, we want to go up. He, he's kind of built the pathway um, and then done a few training sessions with the girls. Um, I knew a few of them already uh, just because we played against each other. And yeah, I just felt at home really. Um, you know, we train at Haven and Waterlooville. So it's, it's literally 12 minutes from my dorm up, considering I used to travel an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah. So yeah, just, yeah. And it, yeah, I put the shirt on for the first time a couple of weeks ago and just felt right. So, yeah, the, the ambitions of the club are ridiculous. And Eric Eisner is, you know, is, is all on board with the women's team. So it just makes it better for the men's chairman to be on board as well. So, yeah, it's good. Right. Well, again, good luck with, with that and for the rest of the season. And um, what are your hopes with, with Ireland as well? I mean, yeah, I know that there was knocking on the door last season. Obviously, everything was up in the air. Um, but all I can do is keep scoring, keep, you know, assisting, keep, you know, putting myself out there on the pitch and the right thing will happen. I know I'm not blessed with age, but I do feel like I said, I do feel like I'm in my prime now. So hopefully Great. we're good to put that shirt back on again. Well, certainly Lionel Messi is uh, um, yeah. a big move, hasn't he? And he's he's 34. So I think you're all right for a few years. Yeah. After seeing that, I've got hope. <laughs> Thank you, Sherelle, and look forward to speaking to you again next week. So now we are going to talk to Lindsay Hooper. And Lindsay, you are the new Women's Super League reporter for Sky Sports. How are you feeling? Is excited the right word? Excited, um, beside myself, like every possible way I could describe just wanting to get going because obviously September is around the corner now. Um, but yeah, I've been absolutely elated to be part of this team and can't wait to get going now. That's fantastic. And, and you'll also be doing uh, reports for Soccer Saturday, is that right? Yes, so I'll be doing Soccer Saturday, Soccer Specials. Um, I've done that sort of work for a long time um, on Final Score, but this is obviously in Vision as well, which is a bit of a different challenge. Um, yeah, and it, it's just brilliant to be part of that team. There's some great people involved. And I think with the WSL work as well, because they've just acquired the rights, it's obviously a brand new project, which means that we've got a great team that can hopefully put our own individual stamp on, on the coverage that we deliver. Fantastic. And, and just, just tell me how that um, all came about for you. Well, um, I've been involved with women's football for some time. I think um, when they were recruiting um, this next team, a lot of the decision makers wanted people who knew women's football and had been working in it. I suppose there could have been a temptation to go with a completely clean slate and go with new faces and new, new everything. Um, but, you know, I'm delighted that they went with experience. Um, we've got Caroline Barker presenting, who I've known from the circuit for about a decade or so. Um, and we actually were in Canada together at the Women's World Cup in 2015 and spent some time together. And Jackie Oatley will be doing commentaries um, and has been involved with women's football from 
for a long, long time, a long time before I even did. So it, it's really nice to see that there's a lot of experienced heads, um, a lot of people passionate about the women's game that were there before it even got remotely any of the headlines that it gets it still doesn't get enough <laughs> but um it gets a lot more than it than it ever used to and yeah i think it, it's great that those people have been rewarded and talking of the the wsl which, which teams and, and players are you in particular looking forward to to seeing this season well i will make no no uh bones about telling you who my favorite players are but um i've i've mentioned them sometime on the offside rule podcast anyway but i am a huge huge fan of kim little um she is one of my favorite players in fact i i do have a bit of a, a soft spot for the scots because caroline weir is another player that i love um i mean i'm interested in seeing how it all plays out to be honest but i'm i'm particularly interested i suppose in manchester united because they've got mark skinner now as manager um i'm very friendly with laura and mark i'd like to see how he gets on in that job um so i think manchester united and how they develop is an interesting one um chelsea you know who doesn't love emma hayes who doesn't love an interview with emma hayes it's been great over the years doing those um, and I just think that as well, it's such an exciting time for Chelsea because they're obviously trying to break into that, that European uh, mould as well. And if they can get to a final again this season, wow, you know, that, that'd be really, really impressive because I think competition's getting tougher and tougher. So um, I'd love to see how they fare. I'm a big fan of Fran Kirby. So she's another favourite of mine. Can't talk about WSL at the moment without talking about Viv Miedemar at Arsenal. Um, you know, Viv is a goal scoring machine. I love Jordan Nobbs too, but she she has got an injury at the moment. So I don't know how long she'll be missing for for this season. Um, but those I, I like good ball players. I like the technical skill. Um, but I feel like, you know, at the same time, we should cast a, a light on some of the defenders and goalkeepers because the, the league has grown so much in the last decade and the standard has grown considerably. Um, I like players with a bit of grit and fight, you know, like Millie Bright. <laughs> Why not? Um, there's, there's so many, but it's also about the new stars that emerge. And we've had that so often, you know, in the last few seasons, I think I remember when nobody knew about Beth England and then she was player of the season the year after. And it was such a quick turnaround for her. Um, Beth Mead, when she joined um, Arsenal from Sunderland, that was a huge, huge deal at the time. And there's just new faces and new names that want to cement themselves in this world and we've seen the younger players coming through like Georgia Stanway I think Manchester City actually have got quite a few of them like Kira Walsh who's come through in recent years and you do want to know who are going to be the next biggest stars of the game and an obvious uh, I suppose absentee on my list that I've mentioned because you can't not mention her as well is is Lucy Bronze because um, in terms of the established player she is the benchmark isn't she now um, I started covering her when she was just entering into England fray and she was at Liverpool women. Wow. What a journey she's been on. I mean, she is the player that a lot of people now, when you speak to who do you want to be like when you're older, any young girls who play, you know, they all talk about Lucy bronze and Steph Horton as England captain as well. You know, they they've got that. And um, I could just keep going on like Ellen White as well. I love her finishing her finishing at the Olympics carried on from, uh, from the last world cup. And if she can, can continue like that for Manchester City, she'll be a real threatening striker for defenders to deal with. And finally, Lindsay, just, just want to ask you for a prediction for the WSL title for this season. Um, for the title itself, I think it will be 
I think it's Chelsea's to lose, but I think they will be pushed again. It's um, it's quite a short season, isn't it, really, when you look at it and you look at the gaps in between as well. You only need to have one or two results where you drop points and it can change the complete landscape of the title race. So my gut instinct is that Chelsea will get the title, but I think Manchester City could run them close. Okay, Lindsay, well, fantastic to, to have you on the uh, first episode. So um, thank you for joining us and uh, good luck for the, for the rest of the season and in your new role. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Lindsay Hooper. And now it's time for... Football fans from around the world. And the reason we're calling it that is because every week we'll be talking to... Football fans from around the world. So for our first episode, we're talking to Chris Dutton, who's a Chelsea fan in Sydney, Australia, and Ed Bottomley, who is an Everton fan in Michigan in the USA. So hello, Chris, and hello, Ed. Chris, we've just been talking to Pat Nevin. How highly did you rate him during his time at Chelsea? Oh, um, very highly. I mean, he he was uh, players like Pat Nevin, um, David Speedy, Kerry Dixon. Um, they were the sort of players that brought that um, bit of excitement to the game. Um, Pat was one of those players, um, you know, when he got the ball, it was it kind of lifted bums off seats or obviously back in those days, it was you were standing. You know, people stood a little bit high on their sort of tippy toes to see what magic might happen. Pat was, um, he was one of those genuinely sort of magical players that you know you, you you're really excited to see he gets on the ball and you know you think okay something's going to happen he, he was one of those players top top player so you're originally from bedford chris so tell me when and why you started supporting chelsea um it's a funny story actually um i think i was probably about eight at the time something like that and my mum and dad used to travel to our good family friends home um for a Sunday roast in a place called Aspley Guys, actually, um, every sort of month or so. Um, and that family, they're diehard Chelsea fans. Um, and what happened is their two sons um, actually locked me um, in the downstairs toilet of all places. <laughs> um, and they wouldn't let me out until I sweared my lifelong allegiance to Chelsea, you know, forever. Um, and as an eight-year-old, those kind of things sort of stick in your head. Um, but I've, I've got a strong family connection to the area. Um, my mum and dad lived down the road from Fulham Broadway. Um, my dad used to play piano in a, in a local pub right near the ground. He actually wooed my mum with his tinkering on the piano just down the road from Stamford Bridge. Um, my mum used to work next to the ground as well. So, so all in all, I'm kind of very much tied in with the club memories, um, history, the area, and obviously um, a toilet. Yeah, and, and Ed, um wanted to ask you as well, you're from South London, so why Everton? Yeah, you know what? I wish I got locked in a toilet and forced to support Chelsea. I, I think it, life might have turned out better. But it's, it's a similar word to Chris, family, right? So from birth, my dad was a blue. He's from around there. So I really didn't have any choice in the matter. My earliest memories were names rather than games i remember hearing my dad say he loved gary lineker like a son and i ran off and i pulled this book down it had a picture of gary lineker on the front it was an everton annual i looked at it and i thought is does that make him my brother 
Um, and you know what, my kids don't have a choice in the matter either. So in the space of three generations, we've gone from a local fan who'd go to every home game to a South Londoner who probably got up to Goodison five to six times a season to my kids, Americans, and it's only the eldest who's ever been to Goodison. And what is your, your best memory, Ed, as, a, as an Everton fan, would you say? <laughs> you see, that's a funny one too, because we don't really have much in the way of trophies. We have the FA Cup, and that is it, since I've been a, a proper, fully-fledged fully Everton fan. But my favourite memory, absolutely, is our 3-2 win over Wimbledon, May 1994. We were in the relegation zone. We had come back from 2-0 down at half-time. This was a great Wimbledon side and somehow won 3-2. None of the teams fighting with us to stay up managed to win that day. We survived unbelievably. I've got memories of Dean Holdsworth slicking back his hair as he missed chance after chance against us. And afterwards, and we didn't go to the game because my dad was paralysed by fear, but afterwards was the first time I tasted champagne in my life. We were celebrating an awful season, but there was a, a lot of Dunkirk in all these relegation escapes, right? These glorious failures. My dad was mowing the lawn the whole game, convinced we'd been relegated. I listened on the radio, pulled out a VCR, recorded over whatever my mum had on there and recorded match of the day, which is always a rarity for a blue. And I'll never forget in his lovely handwriting, he wrote, the day the club was reborn, a new dawn. And of course it wasn't, but uh, a happy day. Uh, and Chris, what about you? Um, best memory as a as a Chelsea fan? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I don't. Really, there's so many good memories, and there's so many bad memories. Obviously, I think flying from Sydney to um, to go to Munich to win the Champions League for the first time uh, that has to stand out. I mean, that that was obviously we were against all the odds. You know, there's no way Chelsea should have beaten Bayern Munich a with that side but B, obviously, in Bayern Munich's back garden. Um, and they were obviously, if you look at on paper, they were much the stronger side. But yeah, when, when, when we got to the Champions League final for the first time, I said, um, I said I'm going, got on a plane, went on my own, uh, met up with a lot of friends over there, obviously. But I remember um, when we scored from that corner, I was right above the corner flag. And there was a, there was a such, I mean, you obviously at games, you know when there's a turning point. And the atmosphere in that ground shifted on that goal. And there was a missed penalty as well. And it like the name, the name was on the trophy. And that has to be, I don't know, it, it was incredible. That that was winning the Champions League for the first time and being there in Germany was off the charts. And let's talk about favourite player. So you can only pick one, Chris. Favourite no. player and, and why? <laughs> Go. Okay, well, um favourite player, oh God, that's hard. Um Oh, I'm toying up between Gianfranco Zola, John Terry and Frank Lampard. I mean, Zola was one of those gifted, magical players. And we mentioned that earlier. He was a, a genius and a genuinely nice guy. John Terry's Mr. Chelsea and, you know, talk about wearing your heart on your sleeve. I was, I was actually at his debut when he came on against Villa. Um, I think it was in a cup game. Um, I don't know, Frank Lampard, I mean, his stats speak for themselves. He's got a goal scoring record that any striker, let alone midfielder, would be happy with. But favourite Chelsea player of all time. Oh, I'm going to, it's on a night, it's on the, a Nats pube, but Zola. And Ed, same question to you. Favourite player? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one for me too. But first off, 
you know, my Everton is very different from my dad's Everton. You know, so he was there in the 60s, the 80s, seeing all these fantastic players. The player for me who sums up my Everton is Duncan Ferguson, right? So he's not the most glorious Everton player of all time. But if you peer over um, the, the image that he has, you have the perfect talisman for late 90s Everton. So we projected all of our angst onto this Scottish guy. He was blighted by injury, brimming with anger, you know, getting sent off sometimes for, for foul and abusive language. And he felt like a fan on the pitch half the time. He was unplayable when the mood took him. Didn't take The mood didn't take him that often, though. But, um, yeah, really, this nearly man, underrated on the floor, wonderful in the air. The footage that I always tell everybody to look up is there's actually full footage of a young Duncan Ferguson pulling off an overhead kick against the world champions Germany for Scotland in 93. But in typical Dunk fashion, it hits the crossbar. Um, so, yeah, he would be my favourite. There you go. And how do you think Everton will do this season? Interesting managerial situation there, of course. Yeah, it really is. It's so interesting because I don't think he's going to get any any credit at all. And I think if things turn south, people are going to turn on him really quickly. The first game was so impressive. But if you look at what people were saying at halftime when we were losing, <laughs> the knives were already being sharpened by some people. Um, he's making us play fast football. He's making us push crosses in. This is Rafa Benitez. And these are all good things. But I think the squad is really limited. We don't have money to spend because of FFP. I would probably say about eighth is where we're going to finish. Similar to previous seasons then. Yes. <laughs> the purgatory. And Chris, and Chris, what about you? I'm guessing you're, you're going to go for a bit higher than, than eighth. What, what do you think Chelsea will do this season? Well, I hope so. Um, I'd, I'd like to think we're, we're going to be up there challenging for the title. Um, Lukaku could be a great signing and he's the he's the type of player we need you know one that can play with his back to goal and bully defenders he'll bring out a lot of best in I think in Werner and Havertz as well um, he's got a bit of jogba about him um, Chelsea under Tuchel have been great and you know we finished the second half of last season so strong so if we can continue that trend and we'll hopefully be up there somewhat you know come what may whether we win it or not I think you know it might it might actually depend a bit on where Harry Kane is and where he ends up um, but you know let's hope Lukaku delivers on his unfinished business and let's hope we're up there challenging City, Liverpool and United. I think it's going to be really close at the top four, but I think it includes us up there. So that was... Football fans from around the world. And thank you, Chris and Ed. And that's it for episode one of the Early Doors Football Podcast. Thank you to my co-hosts, Tom, Dylan and Sherelle. To our guests, Pat Nevin and Lindsay Hooper. And thank you to you for listening. And our guests next week are Mad Dog, also known as Martin Allen, and Cambridge United's Harrison Dunk. And if you'd like to ask Martin, Harrison, Tom, Dylan or Sherelle a question, you can send an email in to the email address you'll hear after this. See you next week. Early Doors Football Podcast for football fans worldwide. If you want to get in touch with Mark and the rest of the team, you can reach them on early doors at forthenow.co.uk.